This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now there's a Bible truth, a Bible doctrine, um, principle, I should say, that uh, is spoken of throughout Scripture, and that is this. Paul said it this way, In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. What that means is very simply this. You can't build a Bible doctrine off of one thing that the Bible says. But if it says it over and over again, several times, two or three times, then it's something that God intends for you to understand. Now, we see that referred back to even in the, uh, in the earliest stages of the, of the Bible when it talks about the creation account in Genesis. There are two creation accounts, one in chapter 1 and one in chapter 2. One's a summary and one's a detailed account. But the reason that God did that himself was to establish the principle that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. So for that reason, the things that we see in the Bible that are spoken to in Scripture again and again are the things that God really wants us to understand and build our Christian lives upon. Well, in Isaiah 53, verse 4, we see one of these things identified in this foundation principle. Isaiah spoke by the Holy Ghost and said, Surely Jesus, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We talk to some degree about the words griefs and sorrows, meaning sickness and pains. We talked about this last Sunday morning. If you weren't here with us, I encourage you to get that message and because the things that we say will build on that. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Talking about sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. Talking about sins. Now the reason he mentions sins twice is one has to do with personal sins and the other has to do with the original sin. See, iniquity is what passed upon all men because Adam fell in the Garden of Eden because Adam sinned and rebelled against God. But transgressions are personal sins. Jesus paid the price through his blood, same sacrifice, same work on the cross for both the original sin that caused death to pass upon all men. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, speaking of Adam, death passed, uh, sin came into the world and death passed upon all men. It's talking about the original sin. That's what opened the door to spiritual death for all of mankind. But we're guilty of individual sins as well. Jesus paid the price for those with his own blood too. So it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, that's that Hebrew word shalom, well-being in every area, was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now, if that's the only place in the Bible that it said that, we could not build a Bible doctrine off of it. But we have two other places in the New Testament that refer to what Isaiah said and identify Isaiah to be speaking of sickness and disease. Look with me over to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning because I want you to see some things that the Bible establishes as the will of God for you. Beginning in verse 16 of Matthew 8, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. This is referring back to what Isaiah said. Matthew, after the resurrection of Jesus, as an eyewitness to Jesus' healing ministry on the earth, he was one of the original 12. 
speaks by the Holy Ghost, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, to things that he probably didn't understand at the time. But now, through the revelation of the Spirit, he does understand that Jesus healed all that were sick to fulfill what Isaiah was saying. But what did Isaiah say? Isaiah said Jesus would take our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Now look with me over to 1 Peter chapter 2. There's the second reference in Matthew 8. 1 Peter chapter 2 is the third. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Peter, speaking of Jesus, said in verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Talking about the cross. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. By whose stripes you were healed. Now he's talking about what Isaiah spoke to without mentioning Isaiah, but he's talking about the same principle. So here's the third witness, one in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament, that we can and should build a Bible doctrine on, and that is that the same price that Jesus paid on the cross, the shedding of his blood for sins, was paid for sickness and disease. Now, folks, there are some things that we know about God and some things that I think that we have to uh, accept. And I, I think everybody does accept it in principle or in, in, uh, um, in the idea of it at least. But without a certain understanding of God, certain foundational truths about God, we can never know him. One of those truths is that God doesn't change. God has to be the same all the time. Another is that God is no respecter of persons. Those are really parts of the same thing. But if God never changes, that means God can never be a respecter of persons. He can't do something for you that he won't do for me. Now, the only way that we can receive from God, another one of these Bible principles is spoken to over and over again, is that we receive from God by one means, and that's by faith, not by works, not by what we do, not based on us or ourselves or anything that we accomplish. But faith, this principle called faith, the acceptance of what God's word says. Now, faith is spoken of in the Old Testament as obedience. If we go back to the Old Testament, we see when God was delivering Israel from the bondage of Egypt. We see in the Old Testament, book of Exodus, that through the Passover, God brought healing to the people. Psalm 105 verse 37 says it this way. He brought them forth with silver and gold. And there was not one people among their tribes. Now, these were people that numbered in the millions of, of, there were millions of them. We don't know exactly how many. Most estimates go anywhere from two to seven million people. Now, let me ask you this. What crowd of people could you get that numbered that many and not find some sick people in them? It would be virtually impossible, statistically impossible, for there not to be any sick people among the children of Israel. So something had to have happened to bring them forth with silver and gold. We know what that was. He told them to go borrow of their neighbors, spoil their enemies, get payment literally for serving them for those 430 years. And it said that he brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble among, among their tribes. Not one. There was not one person that was sick or halt, or lame, or maimed, or, or infirmed in any way that would prevent them from the journey that God had for them to go to the promised land. Now, in Exodus chapter 15, after God leads them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, I want you to see this one. 
The first thing that we have record of in the scripture about events that take place after the parting of the Red Sea and the coming through in dry ground and Pharaoh's armies chase after him and you know the sea comes together and destroys the greatest army on the face of the earth. In Exodus chapter 15, it tells us that as soon as they came out, as soon as they sang their song of deliverance, they crossed to the wilderness of Shur and they came to the place where there was water, but it wasn't drinkable. It says there were bitter waters. Now we don't know if that means just bad tasting or if it means poisonous. It could be either one. But irrespective, regardless of what the case was, the Bible says God told Moses to to find a certain tree which represents Jesus on the cross and to cast that tree into the waters and the waters were made sweet. Well, let me just read it in verse 25. And he cried unto the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and when he had cast into the waters, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance and he proved them. A statute and an ordinance means a law that doesn't change. Well, what law doesn't change? He's already cleaned the waters. He's already made the waters pure. What statute and ordinance is connected to this? Verse 26, he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which which I have brought, literally allowed, upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, folks, the only thing Israel knows about God at this point is that there have been 10 plagues that have taken place in Egypt, and now they're free. That's all they know. There has been no law. The law will not be delivered for some two, two and a half years from this point in time when God gives it to Moses. They know the history of their forefather, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and such. They knew that there were stories about how God chose them and God helped them and blessed them through their forefathers. But they're not worshiping God. In fact, there are many occasions in the, uh, in the wilderness where they turn back to worshiping the gods of Egypt. They've been indoctrinated into the Egyptian culture. They're not worshipers of God. They're not followers of God. They're not keepers of any of God's commandments. They don't have any commandments to keep. And so the first thing that God reveals himself to Israel, the one who delivered them, is I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now the word healeth is an interesting term because in the tense that it's used, it can mean one of two things. It can mean forever the healer, or it can mean the one who healed, past tense, healed you. So it's possible that it's speaking to the Old Testament, I mean to the, to the historical event, that which happened just several days earlier, about where healing came through the Passover. I'm the one that healed you. I'm the one that brought you forth with silver and gold and there was not one people among you. I'm the one that changed your feeble to healed and strong. And or it could mean I am the one that heals you forever. Now, I personally think it means both. Because there are words and there are tenses of this word that could have been used that would mean one or the other, but not both. So the Holy Ghost specifically chose a word that can be used in the past tense or in the present and future tense as well. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. 
Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, we don't see anything else in the Scripture for 20 years concerning sickness and disease. But in Numbers chapter 16, 20 years after this event, 20 years after they were delivered from the bondage of Egypt, we've got the rebellion of Korah. Now, Korah was a man that decided that God shouldn't be, uh, that Moses shouldn't be the only one speaking for God, that he's a leader of the children of Israel, and he's one of the leaders of the tribes of Israel. He's a man of great stature, and so he should be able to say what God's saying to and tell the people and so forth. It seems like the devil has always caused people to raise themselves up or influence them to raise themselves up to hold a position with God that God hasn't chosen. Moses lamented over this. He said, you'd have no idea what you're doing. But he says, okay, tomorrow, here's how we'll tell who's, with, who's the one chosen by God and who's not. He said, you gather everybody that's on your side. And he had done a lot of talking around and gathered up a lot of people of his tribe and his family and friends and so forth to support him and his usurping of authority. And then Moses said, and take 250 of your leaders and have them put incense in a censer. It's a little pot that you put incense in and you burn on coals that would make a smell that was intended to be acceptable before God. And he said, and I'll have Aaron, my servant, the priest, to light his censer as well. So the next day comes around. Moses stands up before the people and he says, okay. Now, God's going to show you who he's for and who he's against. He said, now, if these people died a natural death, that wouldn't prove anything. But if the earth swallowed these people up and then closed up on top of them, then you'd know who God's chosen and who God's for right? Then he says to the people, if you're not with them, better separate yourself from them real quick. So everybody starts scattering. The earth opens up, swallows up Korah, all of his tents, all of his possessions, all of the people that are with them, and then closes up on top of them. And then fire falls down from heaven and burns up the 250 men that are holding censers. The question has been answered. The problem was that the next day, the children of Israel woke up and started murmuring against Moses saying, Moses, you've killed a lot of people. And God says, Moses, step back. And Moses, without God telling him to do it, Moses tells Aaron, as quickly as you can, put incense in the censer and run through the camp of Israel. Now, the Bible says that before Aaron got started, there was a plague that began. Now, we don't know exactly what the plague was. But the plague killed 14,700 people before it was stopped. 
Now, we don't know how many people died with Korah the day before. We know the 250 men that were carrying censers. But we don't know how many people were swallowed up in the earth. But 14,700 people were affected by the plague because they murmured against Moses for obeying God. Folks, disobeying God, speaking out against God and against his people used to be a real serious thing. Now, under the age of grace, you can get away with it for a little longer. But I think it's still serious. If there are things I don't know about, I say I don't know. But I don't speak against somebody doing something that I don't know is wrong. And I would recommend you take that same position. So anyway, Aaron starts running through the camp. And the Bible says that God accepted the incense that he burned as an atonement. Now, it's interesting that the word atonement is used because the word atonement literally means a covering over of sin. The important point to realize is this. If there had been no sin, there would be no atonement that would be accepted. If sin was not the issue, then an atonement would not be made, could not be made. But the Bible says that God accepted the incense that Aaron burned running through the camp to make an atonement for the people. And the plague was stayed. Now, here's what that has to mean. If sickness or disease or whatever this plague was had remained on any of the people, even one, it would be impossible to say that the plague was stayed. We might say it slowed down. But in order for the Bible to say that the plague was stayed, it had to have brought healing and restoration for every person that was still alive. So what do we see? Well, we see in the Passover that it was God's will for healing to be for all of his people. We see in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, I am the Lord that healeth thee, has to include all of his people. Now we see that the atonement that was made in Numbers chapter 16 had to be for all of the people for the plague to be stayed. So that means it was the will of God at least 3,500 years ago for all of the people to be provided with healing and health. Now, the next time we have any event that takes place in the Bible is 19 years after Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 21, where the people start murmuring against Moses again. And the Bible says that fiery serpents came into the camp. The King James says the Lord sent fiery serpents. But Moses says in other places, the Bible refers to very specifically that God led them through the wilderness where these fiery serpents already were. And so as the people murmured against God and against Moses, these fiery serpents came in and killed and bit the people. And many people died. So God told Moses how to fix the problem. Moses goes to God and God says, here's what to do. He said, make a fiery serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And he said, everyone that looketh upon it shall live. Everyone that looketh upon it shall live. So Moses does this. This is the same fiery serpent on the pole that Jesus identifies with in John chapter 3. He says, as Moses lifted up the fiery serpent in the, in the wilderness, there was a serpent of brass in the wilderness, so also shall the Son of Man be lifted up from the earth. And if I be lifted up, I shall draw all men unto me. So Jesus identifies Moses' action in the Old Testament of making the fiery serpent of brass and lifting it up as being a type of him on the cross that would bring redemption for mankind. So the Bible says in Numbers chapter 21 that everyone that beheld the serpent lived. 
that has to mean that everyone that was sick, that was willing to obey the, the um, conditions that God set about looking upon the fiery serpent on the pole, was granted healing and health. There's no way that that could be stated that way otherwise. Everyone that beheld lived. So again, in the Numbers 21 incident, we see that it was the will of God for everyone to receive their healing. Now, he didn't control whether or not they looked. He didn't control whether or not they kept their eyes on the serpent. Serpent of brass on the pole, I mean. But he provided healing for every one of his children. So again, we see another example that at least at that point in time, it was the will of God for everybody to take part of and have access to healing and health. Now, if God never changes, why would that change? Fast forward several hundred years later. Psalm 103, David writes in the Psalm, the understanding that all the Jews had concerning God and his provisions. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name and forget not all of his benefits. What benefits are you talking about, David? Who forgiveth all thy iniquities and who healeth all thy diseases. Now, folks, you need to understand something. The idea that God saves, meaning forgives sins, but doesn't heal today is a modern day theology. It is not part of the Jewish understanding of the Savior. The Jews understood that sickness was a result of sin. You remember Peter in John chapter 9 comes to Jesus and says, they see a blind man born blind from birth, or blind from birth, I should say. Peter asked the question, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? He understood that sin was the cause of his blindness. The Jews get that. They've always gotten that. They've always understood that. It's the Gentile church primarily the Western Gentile church that argues against it. But it's never been the case in the Old Testament. For example, in Psalm 105, verse 37 that we referred to, he brought it forth with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among them. We don't know when that psalm was written. We don't know if it was written at the time as an eyewitness account of that which had just taken place, or if it was written hundreds of years later as a historical understanding by the Jews of what happened at that first Passover. But either way, it identifies that the Jews understood that forgiveness and healing work together. So David says, God's will is the same concerning sin and sickness. He forgives all iniquities, forgives all your sins, and heals all your diseases. So in David's day, he understood that the will of God was the same concerning sin and sickness, that just as God wanted everybody's sins to be forgiven in his day, redeemed or remitted in our day, just in the same manner he wanted everybody to be free from sickness and disease. Now that brings us to Jesus. Now remember the, the point that Jesus said that he came to the earth to fulfill. He said, I came not to the earth to do my own will, but do the will of the Father. That means anything and everything Jesus did, Anything and everything Jesus said was for one and only one purpose, and that was to reveal the will of God to mankind. So whatever Jesus does concerning sickness and disease was done to reveal God's will concerning sickness and disease. Let's look at some. Look with me over to to, uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Beginning in verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those that were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had palsy and he healed them. Now notice he healed every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. Not one is left out. He didn't come to one that was too hard or too big or too serious. He never came to anybody that had something too long for him to handle. He never came to somebody that was too critically ill for the healing power of God to redeem and restore. And all the people that came to him were healed. Not one left out. Now it seems interesting to me that with the modern day church saying so often and have have taught for years that sometimes God uses sickness and disease to teach you something and that if you find yourself in that place that you should just glorify God in your sickness. It seems interesting to me that Jesus who came to reveal the will of the Father to us in every area, sickness and disease included, never found one that he said to just be patient. It's God's will for you to have this disease. But we're supposed to accept the teaching of the modern day church over the example of Jesus, the son of God. Somebody explain that to me. We've already mentioned Matthew chapter eight, but I want you to see it again. Matthew eight sixteen. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Not one was left out that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Now, I know that, that uh, many times people get hung up with the words that it might be fulfilled. And there is some teaching in the modern-day church that Jesus fulfilled the work of God concerning sickness and disease when he was here on the earth. But keep that in mind. I'm going to prove that or disprove that in just a moment. Look with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. It goes on to say, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Therefore said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest. Now let's keep reading in chapter 10. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. In other words, it tells us that not only did Jesus heal every sickness and every disease among the people, but when he saw that the work was too great for him to complete, he couldn't get to everybody. He was moved with compassion and ordained twelve others with the same healing power, the same power to cast out devils and sent them forth to do the same work that he was doing. All is a revelation of God's will concerning healing of sickness and disease. Now who's authorized to say that that was just for Jesus' day? Who's, who's authorized to say that the will of God has changed from what Jesus revealed it to be? God's word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Well, then for whose sicknesses was he wounded? Surely he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, and carried our pains. Who's that hour? Anybody that'll believe. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.